Hello, Podicumans, and welcome to the Podicesis Podcast, a podcast about what Christians believe and why it matters. I'm Brett Maddox, and once again, we're joined from the bunker of Albany, Georgia, Jim Morrow, and from Sunny Meadow, Georgia, Alan Kaysen. How are you guys doing? Uh, you know, just trying to stay safe uh, in a in a thunderstorm. So yes, I'm doing good. Yeah, our listeners, you might find the great harmonious joy of some um, uh, tornado sirens going off in the background here. Uh, We're trying to keep an eye on everything in Albany, Georgia. Um, And we're praying for everybody uh, that the storm will go through without issue. But here we are. We're recording. You know what? The show must go on. I learned that. So I paid tuition for a theater degree. Okay. That's right. Uh, very useful. My father's very proud of me. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, but what I did learn one thing the show must go on. That's right. So, there's your tuition dollars at work, baby. I, I actually mean. learned that listening to uh, Shut the up. Rock I group. paid for it. Let me Queen. have it. Queen. Okay. All right. Never well, mind. I was, yeah. <laughs> Let me have it. A whole host of other places where you get to learn that. Yeah, no, right? But, um, I am anyway. going to destroy you. Yeah, sounds about right. Well, hey, it is good to be with you all, and um, want to let you know a couple of things. First of all, uh, because of these storms that are going around, at any given moment, uh, sound may go out, internet may go out. We may not even be able to finish this episode. We're just going to see what yeah. happens. We don't know. But um, yeah. we are um, we are going um, on a break, too, through the month of July, just letting y'all know. But we're going to do something a little different. We've done this before. We've gone on little bits of break during holidays and, and, and maybe a month during the summer. But you know, we've been at this for three years, guys. Um, is, yeah, three years. Oh, by the way, you know who else was around for three years? All right, I need to stop. No, don't. I, no, I need to stop. No, no. see, I need to stop. I need to stop. Was that COVID that you were going to say? Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say COVID. I don't, I don't even know if that's any better than the where I was going to go with this. But anyway, uh, we've been you're around gonna for... You're going to say Jesus? You're going to say Jesus. You're going to say Jesus. I was a little slow to pick well, up on that. Like I'm but, uh, proud of well, you. Well, actually, he was around for 33 of... years, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, pray, like, I'm, I'm thankful for you for thinking about Jesus, yeah. but I am going to ask you to think maybe a little bit more about him before you yeah. make your next let's, joke. Let's, let's, let's think a little harder. Oh, let me just tell you, I spent some time today in prayer with uh, the the Jesus prayer, and I need to keep doing that. Uh, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Yeah, I would recommend you keep praying yeah. that prayer. Yeah. <laughs> hey, why don't I think this is a good public service? Why don't you? Why don't we pause real quick? Where does that come from, and why is that helpful for you? Uh, the Jesus prayer. The Jesus prayer. Tell people once again what it is. Where it's it comes a Lord from Jesus and Christ. Why you're using it. Lord Jesus uh-huh. Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Um, and uh, it's, all I know is just that it's a one is that it's a pretty ancient prayer that's been around, kind of like a breath prayer or a, uh, mm-hmm. a, just a thing that people have been saying over and over. Just kind of center. It's like a centering type prayer. Um, but I was reminded of it from the book uh, "Centering Prayer" uh, by uh, by Brian Bra- Russell by Doctor Brian Russell. Um, and yeah. for me, what I do is I use it as a means of centering. So I'll, if I'm going into a time of quiet prayer or, or um, just needing to calm myself down sometimes, I'll sit down in a quiet place and I'll just start kind of breathing through that, that prayer. Yeah, very rich prayer. You're speaking to Jesus. You're centering your heart and your attention on Jesus. Right. You don't have to think about what you're saying. Right. Um, there is... Um, there is the prayer in, gosh, is it Luke 18? It's the story of the, um, 
the Pharisee who's the story of the Pharisee who's praying at the altar. He says, uh, God, thank you that I'm not like, you know, this Mm -hmm. horrible guy. While the other guy is saying, God be, have mercy on me a sinner. Yeah. And, uh, so it does have, um, it has multiple scriptural allusions and that's the one too. So you're essentially praying scripture. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Hey, speaking of sin, um, and being a sinner, (laughs) Uh, that's uh we've been we've been talking what a transition (laughs) (laughs) we've been we've been talking about uh we've been talking about the fall lately and we looked at wesley's view of the fall we've looked at what the fall was fall of humanity um and kind of introduction to sin um we've been going through the tfod the faith once delivered document that comes out Mm -hmm. of the uh john wesley institute you can find that Mm -hmm. at next next methodist next methodism.org Right. And um, and that link is in our our uh, our show notes. Show uh, notes. There it is. There it is. Show notes. Show notes. Um, but uh, today, what we're going to do is um, over uh, this one episode, or maybe two episodes, we're going to be talking more directly about what sin is. Now, we've done this before. If you remember our conversation that we had through Wesley's uh, uh, redaction or, or um, revision. Um, yep. revision of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, we've talked about this. Mm-hmm. Um, but there mm-hmm. are some concepts we didn't really get into even in then that we will be getting into now that the TFOD does get into. So let's uh, go ahead and and start this conversation on what sin is, and then um, and then go from there. Okay. Excellent. All right. Uh, this is paragraph 82 in the TFOD. Scripture speaks of sin both as a power to which we are captive and as actions in which we participate. That means that sin is not limited to our behavior. It's far worse. Sin acts against us and upon us. Sin enslaves us. Apart from God's redeeming grace in Christ, we are sold into slavery under sin, Romans 7, 14. And as this power stands over us, we also participate in it. We are complicit. People sin against us, we sin against other people, and we sin against God. As sinners, we are hostile to God, Romans 8, 7, and we cannot please God, Romans 8, 8. We make ourselves his enemies, Romans 5, 10. Our opposition to God makes us objects of divine wrath, which is God's God's measured, principled, and just opposition to everything that stands against his good purposes in creation. For this, we stand guilty before God and are in need of his forgiveness. You know, the thing that stands out to me right away, especially kind of in today's kind of Twitter-esque climate, especially when you start talking in Christian Twitter, is... um, the idea of most div- holy part of Twitter ever. It is, yeah. <laughs> not, um, it's, it's, not. The, it's the discussion on divine wrath and um, what, you know, especially in, in terms of the atonement, you know, that's where you'll see a lot of that discussion going. The, what's the role of the atonement, the work of the atonement? Uh, the, uh, but there is a sense here that we're reminded that we as Wesleyans, which this is a document that is really rooted in not just Orthodox and, and, and ancient Christian doctrine, but this is uh, Wesleyan at its very core. Wesleyan theology holds an understanding of divine wrath. Um, it just does. Wesley understood and taught divine wrath um, that comes from sin, that comes from this corrupted uh, nature um, of humanity. And so, um, but I loved how the writer of this paragraph put this. Um, th- this divine wrath is not like um, some abusive 
person who just flies off the handle who's not in control of their actions, who's not in, their, their, their anger has so blinded them um, and, and, and has so taken over their actions that they just kind of, they, they, they go off the handle. They're just, you know, whatever. Uh, the way this defines that God's wrath is this measured principle and just opposition that to everything that stands um, in the way, what's this, that stands against God's good purposes. Mm-hmm. So I think that's an important understanding when we define what God's wrath is. I don't know what that says about you, Brett, that the first thing you go to is God's divine yeah. wrath. Yeah. Dun, dun, well, well, well has there, I'm there, just messing, been, No, no, been, no. I mean, there's been yeah. pushback against the concept of wrath, probably sure, because it's been, it's been wrongly talked about right. or overemphasized. Or, you know, there, there, there are some people who are just, they're really bent on the negative, or they're just mean people who just really want to have their meanness baptized by something. Um, so along the way, but, but what you lose in the pendulum swing of talking about God's wrath, God's wrath and God's love are not opposites. Right. But when you talk about God's love without wrath and wrath without love, you end up without the gospel. Mm-hmm. What wrath more, the God's wrath more, uh, is more about what God is for than mm-hmm. what he is against. In fact, this, uh, section of the paragraph even defines it. In the positive, not yeah. because God is wrathful against this, against that, against this. God is wrathful for the purpose of standing up for his good, anything that stands against his good creation. Right. Because right. God made things for goodness. And I'm not talking about like good, like chocolate's good. I'm talking about his ultimate goodness. Goodness, right. Chocolate and if God is for goodness, then <laughs> shut your mouth. If God is for goodness, then the only way he can be for goodness is to be against anything that taints, disrupts, or or breaks that goodness. Mm-hmm. And so wrath is just because it protects that which is good. Now, if if anybody listening, and I always have some of these difficulties with wrath too, because I don't like angry things um, at all. But what um, if I, I like wrath when it's protecting me? Mm. If there's like an, if somebody's standing up for me or somebody's on the brunt of, of some kind of punishment because they've done something wrong to me, it helps me. Um, I don't want to be on the other end of wrath. So, what we got to think about is God's wrath is ultimately for the good, but God's will is expressed through Jesus Christ, right? Is that his wrath would not, would not fall upon you or fall upon your sister or brother or fall upon your neighbor. Mm hmm. That's yeah. my spiel. No, my no, glockenspiel. Well, you that think is, about it, God takes, I mean, God puts his wrath on himself. Yes. I mean, yes. through in, in Jesus. So, right. Uh, yeah, it's all, yeah. 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 So, and, and, and I get it. Wrath, you know, it, it has this connotation. Like I said, I think, I think one of the pushbacks is that we have, we've redefined what wrath is and put it to this idea of, of, Kind of like I said, flying off the handle, you know, abuse. God's just mean. God's just mean. Where that's not what uh, divine wrath actually means. That's not what we're. That's not what the tefod means. That's not what scripture uh, gets yes. at. And so, watch this. This is this might blow somebody's mind. Um, to avoid, we don't want to talk about God's wrath because there are things that seem good to us that that just wouldn't make sense for God's wrath to be upon. You know, there are good people. 
They might, mm-hmm. they might still be in a state of sin. That's why this paragraph in the classic definition of sin defines it not just as acts that you do, um, but a state to which you are held captive, right? So it's both a disease and its symptoms. It's something that has happened to you and something you are doing. So if we say, no, 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 God's not mean, because we mm-hmm. think wrath is mean, if we think punishment is mean, then you make everything good. And if everything is good, nothing is good. That's right. Right. That's absolutely that, that's right. That's right. And, and in yeah. fact, if, no, if everything is bad, nothing is bad either. Right. Um, right. And so by, by trying to um, abate wrath, sometimes our Christian dialogue can essentially make everything bad by saying that everything is good. Right. And I'm yeah. not interested. Look, look, this is something I, I, I've told people plenty of times. I'm not interested in pointing out who's under God's wrath. I just know that we all are. And I'm not interested in telling you what to do or not do. I can barely run my own life. I ain't got, I ain't even got time to pretend to run yours. Right. But I do want, I do know one thing I do know constantly, no matter what state of life that I'm in, is that God wants you to be saved from wrath. And it's not just saved from himself because he's so out of control. Is he wants you to be good. He wants something for you. Yeah, I, I love how you said that. How um, it's not up to us, right? So I, I'm, I'm preaching out of Matthew nine this week, and um, I'm going to be hitting on. There's like I don't know five or six encounters Jesus has in Matthew nine, um, and um, what's interesting is the summation that Matthew brings in at the very end of that chapter. Uh, that mm-hmm. summarizes those encounters. These are encounters that uh, Jesus will have with people who are in need of healing, or who are or Matthew. He calls Matthew in in chapter nine, and uh, but what each of the call each of the callings is followed up by some sort of um, uh, pushback uh, from the religious mm-hmm. leaders, maybe even the disciples a little bit. Or there's always some pushback to these encounters. And how does Jesus? Uh, frame this, or how does Matthew sum up this uh, these encounters and this pushback? He sums it up with this. He says that the um, he 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 says that uh, Jesus continued healing everybody and and forgiving everybody, and then he sums up basically Jesus by having Jesus uh, quoting Jesus saying, "The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few." So pray for more workers. Pray mm-hmm, for more mm-hmm. workers in the harvest. The idea here is. Uh, almost like a casting of a wide net, that it's not our job to determine who the kingdom of God is for. That's Jesus's job. Jesus is the one who does the judging, right? Matthew 20, uh, 24, 25, uh, that place. Mm-hmm. It is the king who does the judging. It is our job to open the kingdom up. It's our job to just say, invite and say, come on in, come on in, and Jesus will do the sorting. Let Jesus do that. That's his prerogative. Uh, that's what he does. Um, and so uh, that's, and that's, and, and wrath is built into that part as well, but that's his prerogative. Mm-hmm. That's not ours. Our job is to right. be a worker, is to go into the harvest. Let me, let me add one more thing. Why in the world would we talk about sin? It's so bad. Just talk about love and grace and all that stuff. Well, right. But here's, the, here's part of the thing. Um, you, if you don't understand how bad it is, you don't understand how good it is. Oh, that's good. If you don't that's understand right. what you're saved from, you that's don't right. understand the beauty of your salvation. That's right. Um, in fact, if you don't know what you're being saved from, then you really see no need for a savior at all, which is what I think a majority of our American culture 
uh, where they're at at this time. Right. Um, because possibly, quite possibly, a lot of people that, let me, let me try to not be so general, but a lot of the non-Christian people that I talk to in yeah. my head statistics um, are using a definition of sin that's only about doing bad things according yeah. to a measure that they have. Yeah. I haven't killed anybody. I'm not in jail. I'm living a pretty good life. I'm making a living for my family, you know, uh, things of that nature. Um, and so there's really nothing to be saved from. And so we talk about it so that we can scare people. The Baptists uh, do during their, uh, uh, what do they call it? Salvation houses. Ju- judgment house. <laughs> judgment houses. That, and praise God that they do that. That works for a lot of people. Um, but we do it because I need you to know how beautiful it is. I need you to know how beautiful it is. Mm-hmm. what God wants to do in your life. Well, yeah. We go back to paragraph 77. I love this line. We need a robust account of sin, especially if we want a rich account of salvation. Oh yeah. gosh. They've always said it better than I know, right? Why are we even doing this? I know. Yeah, I know exactly. I <laughs> uh, but that just, that just, just, uh, that stuck out to me. Um, it's gorgeous. It's we, even artfully written. Right. We need a Am robust account of sin. For being so <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> We need a robust account of sin, especially if we want a rich account of salvation. We got it. I mean, you know, you got to understand why Jesus had to come, right? That's right. So, That's right. Um, and what we're rescued from. So. <laughs> so did you guys know that there is, sin has a nature to it? That it has a... a it actually has a twofold nature to two-fold it. Twofold nature? You oh, are you guys <laughs> trying to do some clever lead into the next paragraph? <laughs> yes. Paragraph Just go ahead and read it. So, paragraph so, okay, let, me, let, me sum, let me summarize real fast. <laughs> Um, the main point that we picked up in the last paragraph is that sin is a power to which we are captive. So That's it's right. like an it's illness. Right. Um, and it's also we're complicit in it and it shows up in actions like a right. symptom. That's and right. so we have become enemies and we make ourselves enemies of God because God is, is uh, so enamored with his goodness and with the good things he created. And so there we go on. All right. the next uh, paragraph 83. Scripture also <laughs> describes the twofold nature of sin. On the one hand, there are sins. These are actions that are contrary to God's nature and his intentions for human life. These may be either intentional or unintentional, but of greater significance is sin as the corruption of human nature. This is the antagonism to God and his will with which we are born. This is the source of what Wesley called sin rightly so called. That is an intentional transgression of the known will of God. Mm. So we're yeah. not talking about just behavior, which is goes back to the paragraph before, right? Um, but it's our our whole nature, our whole human right. nature. It's right. just a there's sin and there's sins. This you That's know right. the sins are the the um, the outpouring of the sin that is in in our life and that's the manifestation of it. Yeah, the manifestations right, yeah. of sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, in fact, Paul. There's a great that uh, um, Romans one eighteen and on really is this beautiful. I would say beautiful, uh, really poignant. That's the word I'm looking for. Poignant teaching that from Paul on this idea that um, our actions really are an outpouring or a manifestation of the reality of our human corruption, of our, of, of our natural, our corruption of our nature. Um, and so, um, 
um, hence, hence the reason why the gospel is so important. Um, um, I think it's, what is it, Romans 1, uh, right before it, where it says um, the power, the gospel is the power of God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for the salvation of, of, of everyone, of the Jew first and then the Gentile, right? So, he, I mean, he really just opens up, and then he goes right into explaining this idea of the nature of uh, our human nature and then the manifestation of that nature. And one of my favorite lines, and only Paul could really get away with this, I think, is when he's going through this litany of sins, you know, of um, all kinds of things. And then he throws in there, they invented ways of doing evil, which is kind of his way of just saying, um, and if there's anything else, like this is my et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like this is just who who we are. So, um, yeah. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. This is, I mean, that's just true. We all have. Mm. <clears throat> I mean, I have sinned. Feels today. bad. It fe- yeah. Well, I know you have. <laughs> <laughs> it feel it feels bad to say um, that human nature is corrupt, but I mean, it's really important to pay attention to. Yeah. Um, because it doesn't have to be that way for you, um, and it's mm. not as and, and I, maybe I've got a little soapbox in my head here. Um, but talking about this properly is so important and understanding it in the church is so important because we're not interested in running around and telling everybody that they're bad as if we are on a high horse and we're, we're not also, um, coming from corruption. Uh, but the idea once again is you have to see how bad it is to know how good it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if you think about something that's corrupted, um, you don't, you're not going to get good stuff out of it. It's right. not. Right. So it, let's, let's say there was, there was like, uh, a whole, a whole colony of corrupted sneeches. Let's use sneeches as an example. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So and there's nothing Sneech. else there, just corrupted sneeches. Sneeches get sneeches. Star-bellied sneeches and play, plain belly sneeches. Sneeches. They're going to have within their little their little community there. They're going to have um, some kind of definition of what's better than something else. Yeah. What is good and what is not. But then when they come across uncorrupted nature they're going to realize oh no we star-bellied sneeches um our good is nowhere near good hmm. uh, and that's just no kind of what idea. it's yeah them sneeches <laughs> don't have no idea we have to be real careful uh, do sneeches get slip. sneeches okay <laughs> um it's just a ma- it's a matter of just recognizing where we are and that's why no that's good true. no good thing comes from people i'm not saying like you're I'm not saying you're an unworthy person, right? Right. You're saying let's recognize let's recognize um, what God can do for you. Yeah. No, that's good. Once I mean, again, my and, no, that that's good. That, and um, if I'm not mistaken, and I very well could be, um, nah. um, one of my, uh, the book "Out of the Silent Planet" by C.S. Lewis. Um, oh, I thought that, you're talking about the Sneeches by Doctor Seuss. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh! Hey, we need a potecumen out there who's art- artistic to draw up sneeches for us and just make some uh, corrupt uh, sneeches. Corrupt. We need to see what a corrupt then sneech save looks like. Sneeches. <laughs> but anyway, off the rails. I know. Off the rails. <laughs> we jumped the shark. <laughs> yeah, we did in the most nerdy dad joke way possible. <laughs> but uh, the uh, the space trilogy by C.S. Lewis. Uh, there's there's a piece in the Out of Silent Planet. Um, I think he speaks to this issue 
um, of the what is corruptible and what is not corruptible, and he uses these kind of analogies. And you know, part of the my if my my understanding is right, part of the reason for writing out of the Silent Planet wasn't wasn't mere merely just for writing some science fiction, but it was also it was also to get some of these kind of grander theological concepts out there mm-hmm. that could be could be talked about um, that wouldn't be overtly uh, doctrinal uh, in itself. So, um, um, so yeah, check out that book and that that trilogy. They're, it's really really great. I need to go back and read. It's been a long long time since I've read them. But um, um, yeah. Well, did y'all know that everybody's got sin? What? What? Are you no. also making? Um, you making a beautiful clever well, you, this, segue this episode again? is brought to you by seamless transitions. Um, <laughs> That's right, seamless, seamless transitions. I started These using seamless transitions four months ago. My yeah. transitions have never been more seamless. Thank you. You the can only, use the promo code seamless at seamless.com. By the way, the only percent off. The only transitions with a four point seven rating on Amazon. Boom! Nice. <laughs> All right. Uh, paragraph eighty four. Dumbest thing we've ever done. <laughs> It's the uh, dumbest this thing. This is exactly why we need to break. Is... <laughs> this is so dumb. I love it. I love it. I think uh, the theological content's okay, but the rest of it is just <laughs> All right, 84. Uh sin is universal. Everyone in the world has been subjected subjected to sin and has participated in it. That means you guys. Uh that doesn't mean, however, that sin is essential to human existence. This becomes clear when we look to Jesus, who was born in human likeness and found in human form, Philippians 2.7. He has become like us in every way, yet without sin. So if Jesus is fully human, and if Jesus never sinned, that means that sin is not an essential feature of human life. To the contrary, sin degrades and dehumanizes us. Captivity to and complicity with sin is is subhuman existence. Jesus came to set us free from sin and make us fully human. Can I just say dang? Dang. <laughs> dang. Dang. I mean, well, you if you know, well, if you just look, I mean, we were created without sin, right? True. And so um, all Jesus is doing, not all Jesus, that sounds like, oh, Jesus just, no, yes. which is just restoring us back to the yes. way we were created. Yes. Um, to make so, us more human, right? To ma- I think what uh, happens, though, is that we're so right. used to sin. Uh, the world is so used to sin that we mm-hmm. think it's just the way it's supposed to be. Oh, right. Uh, or, or we've resigned ourselves to the way that it's always going to be. Yeah, right. Yeah, but there's just um, there's a yeah. there's a great book. I think we've maybe even mentioned it here called um, "Not the, the Way It's a Not." <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's yes. plan- is that uh, Alvin Planning as breviary of sin? Yeah, not, not the, the way, way it's supposed, supposed to, to be. be. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Because you're right, Alan. And when you say that we're we, we're so used to this, it's almost it's muscle memory for us, right? So we think this is the way it's supposed to be, but it's not supposed to be this way. Yeah, girl. You know, does that not make you think about the "I'm only human" line of reasoning? Well, what do yeah, you expect right. from me? I'm only human. Only human. Right. Well, um, you say that as if that's um, some lower standard. Except uh, if we really think about Jesus and the work of the work of Christ about creation being human is the most beautiful um top of the line thing that could be that we could be and so in fact i don't want you to say i'm only human i want you to uh, don't don't put me to that standard because i'm only human i want Mm -hmm. you to say i want to strive for holiness because i'm human dang human 
Yep. I want to start That'll because preach. I'm human. That will. It might preach. That's almost Andy Stanley quality memory. Wow. Without, without all up, without all wow. the pending heresies. You do need <laughs> you do need a um, large screen TV with yellow font. Yes, I do. I like those. Okay. Yes, I do too. Actually, so actually, um, I do too. <laughs> a little jelly. Things we yeah, need and things we don't. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, you want to keep talking about Jesus, or you want to just do that? Right, let's, let's go. go that let's keep, yeah, yeah. Yeah. keep going. Let's so, keep going. Uh, eighty-five. Jesus Christ perfectly embodies the fulfillment of God's intentions for humanity as His divine image bearers. When we transgress, we fail to fulfill God's intentions for us as bearers of His image. To sin is to miss the mark of what it means to be fully human. The first sin occurred when the first humans were deceived and tempted by Satan. They failed to trust God. They willingly betrayed God by disobeying his command. Mm. So to sin is to miss the mark. I would count y'all as um, some of the stronger leaders in our conference and some of the bigger minds of our conference. Um, Alan, you've got a big mind. (laughs) We live in 2023. Um, Well, y'all do. I'm still in 1989. Yes, you are. um, Fair enough. So so, is Taylor Swift. (laughs) So um, how do you, um, I guess briefly or take long form, it doesn't matter. How, how, how do you have this discussion on evil and uh, a Satan, particularly the spirit? Like in today's, uh, how do you talk about, um, because he says, I mean, I say he, the, the yeah. TFOD here yeah. says that um, the first sin occurred it's when probably, the first humans were deceived. Well, yeah, probably, yeah, we're deceived by, by Satan. So that brings yes. up mm-hmm. uh, that. So how do, we talk, how do you discuss that uh, when people have questions? you really believe in Satan? you really believe in a... Uh, you know, you really personified evil. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of ways to talk about Satan that I think are scripturally sound. Some people will be more comfortable not thinking about a personified evil because the word Satan comes from the Hebrew word Hasatan, which means accuser. And I believe that it's, uh, uh uh-huh. It sounds very serpent. Like it sounds like you're speaking parcel tongue. I know. Right. Over there in Slytherin house. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that the, the number of, Proper noun usages of the word Satan in the original text are very small. Jesus right. does say, I think in, I can't remember which gospel, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And right. there is the mention in Job, which mm-hmm. actually may not be a proper noun usage, meaning with a capital S, but that, that it's there. Now, the Bible is very clear whether you, whether you care to say, I do believe in a personified evil uh, being opposite to God that there are powers and principalities that have a personified style agenda and activity in the world. Um, So you can definitely attack it from the scriptural angle. If somebody says, do you really believe in Satan? My first question is, tell me a little bit more about what you mean by that, to be quite honest. Yeah. Um, But I think it's very easy then to make the move into, um, well, you can see, you can see opposition to goodness occurring in horrendous events and in basic events. Um, you can probably investigate, let somebody self-discover, have you ever felt opposed um, where you were tempted or goodness wasn't near you? Mm-hmm. Um, you can do all of that without, because sometimes the question, do you believe in the devil? Do you believe in Satan? Is is like what I would call a reductionist mind trap, mm-hmm. a, a reductionist verbal trap. Mm-hmm. But if you really want to talk, if you really want to talk about that, the scripture is clear about that. 
mm-hmm. history is is clear about the existence of, of at least at least an active uh, power of evil and darkness in the world. And I think that you can let people know more about the freedom that comes when that gets there. That's and you long see th- form and maybe rambling. But and you see this like even in the. <coughs> whew, Lord bless me, man. Excuse me. Um, so demons uh, coming out of you. Oh man. Uh, you see this also, even some words of Paul, right, where he was like, we don't fight against flesh and blood, but um, powers we, and principalities, powers and principalities, and those things, right? There's a spiritual component to this. Also, I think it's important to remind folks that when we talk about Asatan, the deceiver, I think that's a, a – the deceiver is actually the translation, but the um, – when we talk about the devil, Satan, um, is that this is not a a yin yang thing. This is not a uh, the good god oh, and the evil god. This is not um, Zoroastrianism or uh, mm-hmm. that type of duality. That's the word of dualism that is going on here. No, God, Yahweh, uh, the Trinity is always superior, superior, and always. Uh, and and Satan is a created being who has fought, like this Mm -hmm. idea of, so we need to understand that this is not uh, two gods going at it, boom, boom, boom. This is God, who's the supreme being and who is always victorious and always good in his nature, and then this, there is the corrupted, the corruptible, the 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 deceiver, the the that that piece to this that is trying to corrupt God's goodness, not because Satan thinks that um, he and I'm using the uh, pronoun there, but he he that he's um, yeah, go ahead. that he's equal to God, um, but that but that he's trying to corrupt God's creation because of that's just he's corrupted himself and so it's just that it's not an equal a duality um that's going right. on there i think i think as hard as it is to wrap the head the head around the devil the concept of the devil satan is some kind of at minimum it is the chief active force of evil whether you want to say that the devil is the devil is real like a person or not i think in in the in the in a scriptural Christianity, and I think throughout Christianity, you're going to find that, that you can't really escape that uh, reality. If you mm-hmm. prefer to talk about powers and principalities and instead of saying the devil, then I think you're probably, you're probably just safe. But I, I mean, I'm just looking now, I'm scrolling through some, some of uh, Thomas Aquinas' Summa Theologiae, and, and he's having plenty of conversation back. He's one of the um, most preeminent Christian writers in the medieval history. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Jesus was tempted by the devil. You talk about um, mm-hmm. uh, the atonement and the work of the cross vanqu- and, and the resurrection, vanquishing the power of the devil over others. Um, I think it's, I think it's actually not a hard thing to talk about if you're, if you're willing to actually have conversation. Yeah. Well, and if you, so um, a lot of people would say Isaiah 14 talks about the fall ah. of Lucifer. Um mm-hmm also translated as Daystar. Um, mm-hmm. And that passage talks about, um, I just preached on this a couple of days. I had it in the sermon and it was, um, it says for you set, you know, Lucifer, son of the morning, how you have cut down to the ground, you weaken the nations for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. 
I will be like the most high. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I just tying it into this paragraph is the whole sin is to miss the mark of what it means to be fully human. Um, the problem it, with Lucifer falling from heaven is that it was, I will, I will, I will, I will. Um, you think about sin, you know, often the definition of sin is, um, is selfish is the I in the middle of sin, you know, mm-hmm. oh. um, Man, that's BDS material. I know, right? I, listen, that's mm, my base. level, my brothers. That's my level. <laughs> oh, come um, on. No, uh, but you know, it's that, uh, um, um, it's that selfishness, um, and it's the seeking what we want, not trusting God wants. They, you know, the end of the paragraph, they failed to trust God. They willingly betrayed God by disobeying His command. Mm-hmm. Um, but what Jesus does is that He embodies perfectly God's intentions for us. Um, he as, as his divine image bears. Um, he, he shows us what it's, what it is, what God intends for humanity and for us to be like. Um, for me, that's the, that's the, that's the crux of that passage is for Jesus is the, is, is what it, it means to be human, mm. which we don't have to think about. We think if we, a lot of times we'll focus on his uh, divinity more than we right. will on his humanity. Right. But yeah. it is, humanity that shows us how we are to live, how we are to be. Right. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, but the devil's real. Yeah. 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 Oh, absolutely. Evil's, evil's there. Evil's the real thing. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, take us on to, uh, all right. So, uh, we're going into into creation and how, how this affects creation as stewards of creation, sin and humanity. This is paragraph 86. Sin and humanity results in the entire creation being corrupted by sin and influenced by malevolent. Oh gosh! Come on now! Come on! Come on! I'm gonna have to say it. Malevolent. 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 Oh my gosh! That word, power, seen and unseen. Um, we are not only sinners; we inhabit a world infected with sin. Mm. We must battle against sin within our own hearts, and we must resist unjust structures and institutions that sinful men and women have built. As Wesley put it, by one man's disobedience, as the apostle observes, as many as were there then in the lions of their forefather were made or constituted sinners, not only deprived of the favor of God, but also of his image of all virtue, righteousness, and true holiness, and sunk partly into the image of the devil in pride, malice, and all other diabolical tempers, partly into the image of the brute being fallen under the dominion of brutal passions and groveling appetites. Hence also death entered into the world with all his forerunners and attendants, pain, sickness, and a whole train of uneasy as well as unholy passions and tempers. That's from God's love to fallen man. Sin is both individual and corporate. It affects each of us. It affects the whole world. Yes. Dun, yeah. dun, dun. And I think it's interesting that Paul says it's creation that is groaning and waiting for the son, what is it, the sons of God, for us to be, for the sons and daughters to come home, to be, to be redeemed themselves. Um, and it, I think the word that he uses is it groans in anticipation mm-hmm. um, um, and, and this eager waitingness for the, us to come to be redeemed because in our redemption, somehow, then the rest of creation is redeemed as well. It's just a so wild thing how that all how it's all connected there. 
Yeah, yeah, we, and it just um, brought, it just didn't, go ahead, Alan. No, I was just going to say in, in in certain traditions, even sometimes in our own, we focus on the individual yeah. uh, human fallenness. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> well, that's one of the dualisms that's going around in the contemporary church right now. Some of us have even been engaged with it. <clears throat> is um, is it all social evil? Is it all personal evil? Is it right. all social holiness? Is it all personal holiness? And the answer right. is yes, it's both. Yes. Yeah. And um, for those who uh, would step, who are having trouble with kind of the uh, the social critique that's going on in the culture right now, it's worth remembering you can't, we can't retreat so far into personal <clears throat> stuff that we forget that we live in a world that we broke too. Yeah. Um, and then the other way around is, is you can't really fix and Well, one, you can't fix social sin. That's one of the problems with the, um, the social justice movement outside of Orthodox Christianity, in my opinion, uh, you can't fix it. Um, you can break it in different ways, but you can't sure. fix it. Right. Um, but we can't necessarily help to, uh, heal large scale communal societal brokenness and sin without addressing the fact that there are broken sinful people who are a part of them. So it's a both and. And so right now, as I'm thinking about, uh, say, various churches are, are starting fresh, uh, doing new things, it's just remember that um, never to define yourself about what you're against and always remember um, that you have more responsibility than maybe sitting in our face right now. It is important. When, when Adam and Eve sinned, the earth broke too. Um, mm-hmm. And then the things that they created together as a community, they created a son named Cain. And that uh, community creation between Adam and Eve uh, was sinful and harmed others and mm-hmm. onward and onward. So you see, so the things that we create are as sinful as we are and they must be addressed. Um, and there are people that will sit under the weight and pressure of the things that we create. And that's called injustice. And both of the things are true and both things need to be addressed. Yeah, There's and my I, prophetic word for the day. And, and I actually appreciate you, you saying that because I've been thinking about a lot about this. Like, um, you know, so many things have been co-opted and politicized and used for tribalism these days to for people to get into their own camps politically and whatever else. And um, so words that, you know, like issues like systematic racism, for example, this gets thrown around. And I, I don't really know, like— intentions on groups and people. I don't follow it that cor- that that closely. But what I do know, I do know theology. I do know scripture. I do know human nature uh, because of those things. And I do know that systems are in place and systems are built by people and people are broken. And because of that, the systems are broken themselves. And so um, we have to understand that um, we as Christians, I think it's important for us to pull ourselves out of the of the political tribalism. Um, that doesn't mean yes. that you can't belong to a party, and that doesn't mean no, you do. can't you can't go vote and even go do whatever. Please go do, do that. Be involved. Do Christians what you, you must know. be involved yeah. in that process, or That's else right. it's going to get darker and darker. But we are ultimately citizens of the kingdom of God. First and foremost, that's our citizenship. Is we're, we're you know we're foreigners in a in a in a, a land, in a passing through right now, um, uh, as First uh, Peter talks about, 
And so um, uh, our, our, our allegiance is to the Lamb of God who sits upon the throne, who is making all things new. He declares, I am making all things new um, as he sits upon that throne. So that's where our ultimate allegiance is. And when we look at the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of scriptures, it is clear, clear, clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, then the systems that they build, the, the, the things they put together, the organizations they put together, the, the, the groups, whatever it is, those things are inherently broken broken themselves. And as Jim said earlier, and I completely agree, and when the, there will be times when there are people who will be sitting under the authority of those things or under the opposition of those things, and that is called injustice. And it is time, I think, that we as Christians, we, we take back some of these words and we bring them back into a, a Christian understanding of what these words mean. Injustice doesn't need to be this political word that uh, calls people to a certain political tribe. It needs to be a word that roots itself back into the the prophets of the Old Testament. Let justice rain down like the rivers. You know, these type of things that draw us in, justice for the widows and the orphans and justice for the foreigners in the land and justice, those are biblical principles that Jesus would have proclaimed, and we in our brokenness have just let those words get co-opted and and used for different things. And um, we Christians can't be afraid of those truths anymore because we're afraid of being labeled a donkey or an right. elephant or whatever. Yeah. Woke or right. rhino or right. Right. whatever whatever words go. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, let me just say, woe be unto us if we let people suffer under an impersonal system because um, mm. we're afraid that it reeks of another political party. Yes. Praise the Lord. Yeah. yeah. Woe Amen. be unto us. Let me give you an Woe. example from the Bible. Let me give you an example from the Bible. Yes, the language the Levitical scripture. sacrificial system uh, says that you sacrifice and make thanksgiving offerings of sacrifice and that you do that in the tabernacle for your sin, for thanksgiving, for offering. Correct? Right. Now, the temple gets built and you move forward into the time of Jesus and the temple is central and Israel has grown wider and it's farther. So in order to help people to make their sacrifices, um, people with all different kinds of money, because they're from different parts of the land, to keep them from having to keep their goats and sheep and doves alive for a five-day journey or even pack them at all, they give you the opportunity to pay your hard-earned money and buy that thing for the sacrifice. That sounds like a good service. Sounds reasonable. The reason that Jesus gets upset about it is because it's become corrupted. And it is, in, and it was taking a uh, deep advantage of the poor and the foreigner, and just mm-hmm. among many other reasons. The people were using it not to assist people in worship, but to enrich themselves. Right. And so that's the thing. These things just get off track. And there are people that end up paying higher prices and more ways than just money um, because of it. Right. And so that's a biblical, biblical example of systemic or institutional injustice. Right. Absolutely. And it may have happened by accident, and there may not have been one person responsible for it. Right. 
at New Room last year or the year before, there was this guy who was talking about biblical justice in one of the breakout sessions, and he was saying, hey, and if your people don't like the word justice or they don't like the word injustice and all they think about is political tribalism when you hear when they you throw out those words, then just use the Hebrew word for justice or injustice. Like, just learn the Hebrew word and say, this is God's, you know, whatever, and people can rally around that. I just thought that was Yeah, there funny. you go. Just yeah. change the word, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, y'all want to talk about death? Yes, let's talk about death. Again, oh, seamless sure. transitions. Yes. Uh, this is, we're going we're gonna to end this season of the podcast talking about death. Talking about death. So, let's do 87 and 88. Uh, and that's what we're going to do. All right. Uh, perhaps the greatest consequence of Adam and Eve's sin is death. Death is a result mm. of sin, not a matter of arbitrary divine reprisal. Boom. Life is a gift from God, the I am. God is life, and we have life only in communion with him and as a gift from him. Thus, sin breaches our relationship with our creator, and death is the inevitable result. That's pretty good. Um, 88. But what is death? It is expressed both spiritually and physically. Spiritual death is separation from God as the source of life. This gives the end of present life its horror. Adam and Eve experienced spiritual death when they were exiled from the immediate presence of God. Their untroubled relationship to God died, and as did their peaceful relationship to one another. But death is not only a feature of our spirituality. We are embodied creatures, and our bondage to sin also results in the death of our physical bodies. When Adam and Eve sinned, death entered the world and spread to their offspring. Cain murdered his brother Abel. Spiritual and physical death belong together. We experience spiritual death in separation from God, which ultimately leads to the death of the body. This frames the double need that is met in Jesus. He restores us to the immediate presence of God and gives us spiritual life. He makes us participants in his resurrection to restore and glorify our physical lives. So we don't we don't end necessarily on death. We do end on Jesus and the resurrection. And right, yeah. Glory. Um so uh gosh, what was I gonna say? It was it was so good that it left me. Yeah, it was <laughs> I wish um, I knew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean I can't answer oh, that question for uh, you any day of the yeah, week. I know. Uh Dr. J- uh, Joseph Donjel um in his study on the Gospel of Mark, that is this real in-depth study that Seedbed puts out. Um he talks about the death monster in the gospel of Mark. Um, Mm. There are all these things that lead to death, including sin itself. Um, Death is this monster and there are hooks. It's uh, let me see sin and sickness and illness and ignorance and um, uh, demon possessed, like uh, the demonic and um, this uh, uh, natural disasters and just other stuff. About six things that all get, and he says it's a monster with like these tentacles that just draw it in and that Jesus comes and he starts cutting those tentacles off, right? Like he's healing people, boom, taking out sickness and illness. He's coming through and he's dealing with the sin issues. Your sins are forgiven. Boom, takes that tentacle away. He comes in and he raises the dead. Um, uh, it, boom, takes that away. He he deals with the demons and casts them out. Boom, takes that away. This is what we see in Jesus is that he's coming and he's uh, almost kind of like, <laughs> I loved playing D&D, still kind of do, but the kind of like, he's like this grand warrior comes in, it's just taking on the, grand, the great uh, Grendel monster from Beowulf, you know, just this, uh, that's kind of the image I have. And so, um, um, 
that's when I think about death and I think about Jesus. That's what I'm thinking is like he's conquering death itself. And these guys are both saying this guy's a nerd. So it's true. Now look, nerd look, alert. Nerd look, alert. Look, I still love role playing games. And Alan, do you remember the time that we played role playing games yeah. together? <laughs> I hated it. With Father Ben. <laughs> that's so awesome. <laughs> it was us and the coolest Catholic priest we've ever met in our lives. Just Absolutely. still one of my best friends. Yeah, it was amazing. And we, we played games, nerd games, like every week for months. And role-playing games just didn't end up being one of those. Oh, uh, probably because of me. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I love, yeah. I mean, you know, I use this at funerals, and you guys probably do, but, um, you know, Revelation 21, mm-hmm. um, you know, John has the vision of a new heaven and new earth. The old mm-hmm. heaven and the old earth has disappeared. Um, he sees Jesus coming down and he um, says, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All things, all these things are gone forever. And then he goes on to say, look, I am making everything new. Um, and then he says, write these words down for these are trustworthy and true. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you see that on YouTube. You just saw me react to a lightning strike out my window. Oh, <laughs> Ooh, hit that on playback and free. Give me a thumbnail. If y'all are watching this, kind of yeah. give me a screenshot of that moment. I yeah. Bet, I bet I look like Grendel from Beowulf. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. So, um, one of the, the beautiful pieces to this is how it ends. And, um, you know, one of the things I, I was, Jim, when your um, when your mother-in-law, not your mother-in-law, yes, your mother-in-law went passed away, mm-hmm. and you did the funeral, did, and I watched that funeral, and you said, and I had heard this, you know, written before. I've read it and seen it, but I'd never used it in funerals. Um, but when you, I mean, you just ended your eulogy with the beautiful. I mean, just you said, "Rest in peace, and rise in glory." And you just walked away. Like you would just, that was it. Ever since then, that's how I, that's how I do my, that's my funeral is that's the point. Everything I write, everything I prepare for, uh, the first thing I write down when I, I meet with the family is may so-and-so rest in peace and rise in glory. And I'm going to build around that. Uh, yeah. It's important to me. We'll just talk real quick. Uh, and when we're talking about funerals, I mean, I performed, far too many funerals uh, in yeah. the hundreds at this point um, yeah. of people I know and people I don't know. And in the beginning, I'm thinking about how do I make this a good experience for the people who are there? Um, and after a while, I'm starting to think about how do I proclaim the resurrection in a way that they will hear, yeah. which I think is ultimately for me, the more important question. My goal is I'm going to proclaim the resurrection in a way that the living will hear on behalf of the joy of the dead who are with the Lord. Um, and I want to I want to put a little plug out. Do you know what really got me started thinking about this? Is we have a mutual friend. He's in town with me now, Joshua Duckworth, mm-hmm. the pastor at uh, one of our churches here. I'll, I won't say too much because I, I didn't ask if I could talk about it. He was writing a, a doctoral dissertation on uh, the witness of Christian funerals. And I got involved in a conversation as part of his research. Um, and it really just kind of recentered for me. Because the good news of the gospel is not um, you can live a good life while they lived a good life. Um, it's not we did it their way. It's not 
have good memories because God loves you. I mean, some of these things are true. The The good news of the gospel is um, they, Christ has made us participants in his resurrection to restore and glorify our physical lives. Our bodies will rise with Christ. It's uh, sin is the double, uh, death is the double issue. Salvation is um, the double, it's the double need. Salvation is the double cure for many reasons. You can tell how it cures us from spiritual death because you feel that immediately. But then you think, oh, but we still die. The reality is the, the true Christian gospel says you might, but your body will be raised from the dead. Yeah. And then yeah. we will be, yeah. then Christ will judge. Well, the language that the first Christians would use for this would be they are asleep. You're asleep. That the the mm-hmm. you're just asleep. and that's not to deny the that's not right. to deny death. We do that a lot too when we talk about death. Truth. We minimize death. Right. In right. fact, sometimes sometimes you have to. Sometimes people talk about things like passing away or no longer with us, and and every now and then, if I'm in a one on one. I'm not going to push the issue, but if I'm on a one-on-one with somebody, and I just have a sense that it's hard for them to accept. You might just, you might just choose to stop using the indirect words just in a sentence or two, just to have an acknowledgement that mm-hmm. this is real. This is real. But the hope of glory is participation in resurrection. Amen. Those are just some of my funeral thoughts, by the way. Yeah. Right. That's good. Because ultimately, ultimately, as we're learning this paragraph, Christ will will and has conquered death. He has. I mean, it's that's yes. what we celebrate every year on Resurrection Sunday. That is that is what we proclaim when we sing Christ the Lord is risen today. That <coughs> is um that that there is that 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 is what's proclaimed out of that passage in Revelation 21. He who mm-hmm. sits on the throne says, "I am making all things new." All things new. All things new. And yeah. Now, gentlemen, check this out. We had just finished section two of The Faith Once Delivered. And when we get back to it, when we get back to it, we're going to start all about Revelation, the image revealed. Yes. And I think, and you correct me if I'm wrong, we have a brief word from Dr. Denker to introduce this yeah, section we two. We do. Yeah. Um, so we're going to start getting into, we're just going to really be digging into Jesus in beautiful ways. Um, and, and even in ways that our previous season of podcasts, uh, didn't direct us to um, because there's some different different grace notes lifted out in in this document. So uh, we love Jesus. We love Scripture. Um, it's going to help us talk about scriptural authority and the place of our uh, the democracy of the dead. Our Christian brothers and sisters who've gone before us. It's going to be a great subset of our next uh, next time. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, what we're going to do is we're taking August off, like we said earlier, and uh, but or we're going to play some July. Or July. Unless, we're not unless taking we're August just going to take August off, too. Then I mean, we're going to yeah. take July off. We're going to take September, too? <laughs> what about October? No. Can I do that? Am I allowed to do this at work? <laughs> yes. But you so wear I'm taking July and, and August and September it's off. September, I'm, yeah. just, I'm going to take next year off. That's fine. Okay. So uh, uh, we'll bring in some guests while Jim's on his Potokesis sabbatical. Um, so, uh, but no, we're going to be taking July. That's a um, sabbatokesis, by the way. Sabbatokesis. <laughs> so, anyway, we're going to be taking July off, but uh, never to fear. Uh, one of the things um, I'm going to do is I'm going to look back through some of our archives because we've been around long enough to have archives, which is, which is pretty wild. And uh, and so we'll be posting some of maybe probably what I'll do is the top four um, downloaded yeah, episodes yeah. ever, 
And, and uh, so, hey, Adam, when you're listening, these are the ones you should go back and listen to. That's exactly right. <laughs> Um, but anyway, so uh, we hope that you have a good rest of uh, your uh, June and then in July as well. And uh, we are um, excited about what God has for us when we come back from our sabbaticesis. And um, <laughs> that's just going to be what it is now it's gonna in, in July. So check us out on social media at Podkesis, where you can find us. Questions at podkesis.com. Voicemail, voice. 404-635-6679. Call us. Let us know what you think about everything. And until we come at you again, y'all take care and continue praising the Lord. Have a good one. Bye.